So when you desire a collective level and it's not met, that produces more antagonism in the society, more unbehagen, more discontent. And that discontent, according to Karatani, also is, is related to, to the emergence of things on the right, like fascism. So like if, if, if fascism is a dialectic with a failed working class revolution, it did produce a countervailing force in the rise of reactionary fascism. Thank you for tuning in to The Global Novel. I'm Claire Hennessy. Marxism is a left-wing to far-left method of socioeconomic analysis that uses a materialist interpretation of historical development, which is better known as historical materialism in order to understand class relations and social conflict and a dialectical perspective to view social transformation. In today's episode of The Global Novel, Dr. Daniel Ta will review Marxism's key concept of alienation. He will also discuss the relationship between Marxism and literature. So there are a few confusing but quite interesting terms used by Marx and his translators, which could mean really the same thing. And I thought it's meaningful to highlight these translations sure. together here. First, we have all kinds of variations regarding alienation. And this is actually yeah. a concept, like you mentioned, so pervasive in the original Marxism, namely uh, Marx's economic and philosophic manuscript of 1844, and even recurrent in such later writings as Contessa and Capital. So the original German we have here mm-hmm. is Entfremdung, for which some translators have used alienation and others estrangement, as you just mentioned. So correspondingly, Marx's Siebstentfremdung becomes either self-alienation or self-estrangement, which makes sense, right? And in the translation of 1844 manuscript, Martin Milligan has used estrangement and self-estrangement. Therefore, the title of the famous section, Die Antfreiheit Arbeit, is rendered as estranged labor. And it is in this section that Marx talks about what becomes estranged from man, notably the product of his labor and uh, the surrounding material world as mm-hmm. as the uh, aggregate of such products must first be created. So the process of creation is deemed by Marx as antisohn, which is also translated as alienation by Mulligan in the 1844 manuscripts, and other times more literally as objectification. Mm-hmm. So this causes some confusion because Marx also employs another term, which quite literally means objectification. So could you talk a little bit about these differences in translation? How should we understand it? Yeah, it's, uh, on the one hand, you could say there is, a, there is, as I mentioned, a fundamental schism at the species being level of humanity within mm-hmm. capitalist social relations, mm-hmm. which both classes, the both predominant classes, within those classes, there are variations. Marx mm-hmm. would speak about different variations of the class system. Uh, but it is, um, you know, for example, there are petite bourgeoisie, there are lumpen proletariat. Uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, there exists a kind of um, estrangement from the process of capitalism itself. But as I mentioned before, the bourgeoisie has a tendency to experience a um, ease mm-hmm. in their estrangement. So Marx makes a claim that the proletarian estrangement in capitalism has a distinct quality. Mm-hmm. 
that distinct quality can have uh, different outcomes and different effects. It's not necessarily going to lead to the working class proletarian position to necessarily be radicalized towards socialism, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, That actually was an interesting debate that Marx once had with the most famous working class communist, Willem Waitling, Mm -hmm. uh, before 1848. And Waitling was a follower of Mm -hmm. Blanqui. Blanqui was a sort of conspiratorial communist Mm -hmm. who held the idea that the emisceration and the suffering of the working class Mm-hmm. was so severe, was so dire, mm-hmm. that inside of them, mm-hmm. their experience, we would not need to educate them mm-hmm. about the necessity to form solidarity amongst themselves and to agitate for revolution. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he said to Marx, we don't really need education. Right. Which is why actually... In their organization, Waitling and the Blanquists, they were secretive societies. They were secretive societies because they felt that at a moment in which a revolution uprising occurs, everyone will just, the inner convictions will come out. Right. Marx disagrees with this. Marx says education is necessary and uh, working in, uh, with members of the bourgeoisie who are themselves disaffected, who experience this estrangement, not in ways that lead them to produce great art or something like this, which many, many do. You can think about that. Uh, But no, there needs to be cross-class alliance that is forged. And furthermore, this is this sort of debate that Marx would insist upon. You could say it's tethering his notion of socialist education back to the notion of an enlightened enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Principle, which is that that education can militate because again communism is defined through the most militant and radical aspects of working class consciousness so therefore consciousness and the process of building a class conscious proletariat becomes the the primary pedagogic uh, angle that marx wishes to advocate against Mm -hmm. this blanquia's position right So I think that that's a significant point. Now, I think that these questions and these distinctions between these different layers of alienation, the distinctions between objectification and Mm self-estrangement are interesting, but I'm not sure that um, we need to get too lost in those those, uh, debates, other than to say that I think that you have sort of these these, these different levels. On the one hand, you have the level of a kind of um, fundamental... Um, alienation at the level of humanity. Mm-hmm. There is a kind of uh, Feuerbach is right, right? Mm-hmm. Feuerbach is right that like modern existence experiences this kind of alienation. But where Feuerbach is wrong is that he doesn't link that to what Marx calls the material domain, which is that ultimately this is not tied into um, the domain of sensuality as bound up directly with productive labor and with the mode of production. This is the materialist thesis. Mm -hmm. And so therefore that, that materialist thesis forms the kind of ontological backbone of Marx's, of Marx's view. Mm -hmm. And um, 
uh, it's a radical thesis if you think about it. Interesting thing about Marx's debates with Feuerbach is that he wrote those, he wrote his famous theses on Feuerbach, mm -hmm. which was a kind of attempt to put forward his materialist thesis uh, for the first time when he was quite young. Mm -hmm. And then Marx dies. And in the 1880s, as Engels is an old man, Engels revisits the theses on Feuerbach and he writes a famous book um, called Ludwig Feuerbach and the End of Classical German Philosophy. And what he basically says is that even though we were young, we were absolutely correct to make this critique of Feuerbach. We were correct. And the consequence of it was that we shifted Hegel's project out of the university and into the workers' movement. Right. That's what Engels thought of the practical effects of the theses on Feuerbach, mm -hmm. uh, which was that the task of Hegel to sort of realize bourgeois society could not be achieved by the bourgeois intellectuals. Mm -hmm. It actually could only be achieved outside in a different domain. Right. Uh, uh, so in that sense, I think the other interesting thing that we'll say one more thing about alienation that a lot of people uh, have debated from the 20th century Marxist point of view. Right. Is the question, and psychoanalysis enters into the picture here as well, yeah. is the following question, which is, um, is Marxism putting forward a utopian theory in which humanity is fully reconciled from its alienation? This is a big debate. The biggest mm, antagonist in this regard was Moses Hess. Moses Hess was a very influential utopian socialist mm -hmm. who argued, you see, everything has to do with what a communist revolution will achieve apropos uh, reconciliation of humanity. Right. Moses Hess argued that, yes, communist revolution would basically bring about an end to alienation in some regard. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> my reading here, and this many, many books have been written on this. Uh, many Marxists will come back and say, well, even though Marx was a critic of this utopian thing, he still was utopian. Uh, because even, even insisting that a working class revolution is possible, itself you could conceive of as a utopian gesture. I think the question is more, um, what can we reasonably say regarding um, the question of reconciliation of humanity and this whole thing. And I'm, this is a, this is a valid, a valid question. Like for example, um, my view mm -hmm. would be much more modest. For example, I recently wrote an essay, uh, dealing with a Japanese Marxist philosopher, Kojin Karatani, who I think does a very nice job because you see so much in the history of human thought, and humanities has taken place since Marx, and Freud's contributions must be thought of here very centrally. Freud argued that a utopian impulse mm -hmm. paradoxically produces a heightened aggressivity, even to desire it. So when you desire a collective level and it's not met, that produces more antagonism in the society, more unbehagen, more discontent. So therefore, you can then read modern revolutions as a series of discontents. 
So therefore, the left becomes a, a culture of discontent. Right. Okay. And that discontent, according to Karatani, also is is related to to the emergence of things on the right, like fascism. Yeah. So like if 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 fascism, since Hitler and Mussolini to now, is a dialectic with an un, with a failed working class revolution, which is right. what Walter Benjamin said it was, which is an interesting proposal. Right. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Karatani does an analysis of how that worked in Japan, which is very different than how it worked in the West. And um, he sort of shows that what mar the tradition of Engelsian Marxism, of historical materialism, of this worker class-based struggle, mm -hmm. he argues that it did produce a countervailing force in the rise of reactionary fascism. Mm -hmm. And you can see why, because if, as I said at the beginning, Marxism is about a material and practical achievement of human freedom mm -hmm. from capitalism, when that fails, the question becomes, what, what happens in the wake of that failure, in the wake of that attempt, you see? Mm -hmm. So revolution has a dark side. And so I'm, I'm coming back to the question of, of reconciliation because I think it's important. Because what Karatani says is that the insights of Freud show us mm -hmm. that um, it's harmful to think of socialism as if it will produce society, a society in which we have perfect harmony, perfect homeostasis, etc. No, Freud is right. Uh, doctrines, social philosophies, which promote the notion that society can be constructed in such a way like this famous uh, utopian socialist from the 19th century, Foyer. Foyer had this notion of these utopian communities, which would sort of be idyllic and pure and almost quasi-religiously unalienated communities. Right. So the question is, alienation remains. Alienation will remain in a socialist society. For Karatani, the question is, how does that find an outlet? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what he calls alienation is aggression, which I think is a better way to say it, which is the persistence of aggressivity, which is a constitutive part of the human being from our, from our formative self-development, from this thesis of Oedipus I mentioned earlier. Uh, that's the question that it must be tackled by socialism. And I think Karatani comes up with a beautiful solution, which I don't have the time to get into, but he really develops a nice way of thinking about this. So I think the question is more ambitious than you first posed it, which is Marx is right to identify these different forms of alienation, commodity mm -hmm. fetishism, general species being level, objectification, estrangement amongst classes, all of that's there. The question is, well... You're a revolutionary socialist. What's your account of alienation after so when socialism comes? That is a very interesting question that I like to think about this. This is the heart of so much uh, debate because, in a sense, after the decline of the USSR, mm -hmm. after the um, the rerouting of the Chinese Cultural Revolution towards capitalism. Right. Uh, those two events signify the fact that what we know of as Marxism, 
in a practical sense, was more a doctrine for revolutionizing class inequalities and overcoming social uh, structures that were oppressive, mm -hmm. such as in, such as in the uh, proletarian Chinese Cultural Revolution. Right. But what we what we have not witnessed is uh, this other idea, which is the achievement of a different mode of production fundamentally that governs the world system other than the capitalist mode of production. I do think that the USSR never fully collectivized itself because Leon Trotsky had the, had the thesis, which I think is correct, uh, that socialism necessitates a permanent revolution to be internationalist. It needs to be more thorough in order for some true break from capitalist mode of production to take place. Otherwise, uh, Marxism can be a doctrine for revolution mm -hmm. that, that changes the class dynamics. And that can be positive. I mean, the Chinese Cultural Revolution produced such immense uh, advances in egalitarianism, literacy of peasants, eradication of the structure of peasantry as we know it, in some sense. And the Bolshevik Revolution also introduced incredible advances in egalitarian possibility for women, for minorities, etc. Right. Um, so this, they're positive. Mm -hmm. But I think what we are faced with today is something different, which mm -hmm. is a social imagination about transitioning into a different mode of production in which we achieve something more thorough than they were able to achieve on a planetary and global scale. Right. And that is something which is uh, a big focus today. We see this in the big debate that we're now having about what they call degrowth communism in the face of ecological catastrophe, right? Mm -hmm. in, the, in the Asian countries, you have a lot more comfort to discuss these issues than you do in the Western countries, because the Western countries have a long history of censorship of socialist ideas. Of course, in the Asian countries, it's not to say that the authorities have a good reading of Marx. They probably have a problematic, they, right? They probably have a very problematic reading of Marx, precisely because they are the new bourgeoisie. So there needs to be some kind of internationalist effort. Again, another big debate, right. aside from this question of imagining socialist futures is the question of going back to this centrality that Marx and Engels placed on organization of working class mm -hmm. in the Western countries. This is a huge debate, um, both because of the sociological shift and mutation mm -hmm. in the, in the status of the working class, its power has been diminished. Its possibility for unity and solidarity with itself, therefore, has significantly diminished. Right. So in order to organize along those lines, it requires a lot of creativity right. um, and experimentation. Mm -hmm. Because no longer is the working class granted a type of social power right. by virtue of a its own reliance on the capitalist mode of production. In fact, this is why many people have now begun to argue that capital neoliberal 
capitalism that we live in mm-hmm. is, is, is regressing us to a neo-feudalist structure, right? Because right. this is one of the big um, reasons, which is that um, Marx's thesis um, of the labor theory of value. We hope you have enjoyed the episode so far. If you want to hear the entire episode, you can subscribe at theglobalnovel.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening.